Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading mixed this morning without direction from the U.S. markets, which were closed overnight for the 4th of July, U.S. Independence Day holidays. Seoul is up 1.5%. Tokyo trading higher as well. Sydney in the red. Investors there are awaiting the latest retail sales data that's due out today, as well as an interest rate announcement from the Reserve Bank of Australia. Now, most are expecting a 50 basis point increase. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. Good morning, Ryan Huang. Morning, Michelle. This morning on Market View, we're going to take a whirlwind tour around Asia, even head to outer space, as we check out the temperature of business sentiment and investment opportunities. So let's start with India, where technical analysts say if history is a guide, equities are set to rebound this month. The Indian benchmark indices, the Nifty 50 and Sensex, both fell about 5% in June. They are down about 12% over the past quarter. So why are analysts bullish about Indian stocks now? Yeah, if you are a believer in how history repeats itself, then this theory is for you. So going by historical patterns, when things like these um, slumps we've been seeing in the Indian market happen, uh, this would then rebound. So more specifically, when the Nifty 50 index drops nearly 10% from April through June, it has bounced back with an average gain of 7% in the fourth month. So after dropping for three months, it bounces back up on the fourth based on hysterical patterns. But this is going to be something to watch out for to see if history does repeat itself. Another driver for what might be a rebound is the valuations. So when things are cheap enough, you will see bargain hunters come out to look for bargains. So this could be something of a buying on a dips bounce we could be seeing for Indian stocks. Right now, we are seeing Nifty stocks trading at about 19.5 times their earnings on a trailing basis. Uh, that's the cheapest in nearly five years. So that could be attractive for some investors. All right, so strong case for July bullishness. Selling pressure from foreign institutional investors helped drive Indian equities lower during the first half of the year. Nearly 30 billion US dollars worth of sales and outflows were recorded. Now, if we look forward, though, some analysts believe that India and other emerging markets will appear more attractive to international investors as the US faces recessionary risks. What do you make of this argument? Yeah, there is that argument that always comes around when we see rate hikes because when the Fed raises rates, it puts a pressure on emerging markets. Capital flows elsewhere, typically out of emerging markets. But this time around, some market watchers are thinking, hey, maybe the worst may be over for emerging markets in the sense that we may be close to what they call peak pessimism. So this is where they think you know, the emerging market performance, which has been going through a bit of a slump in recent months is pretty much reached the bottom and they are also looking at a couple of factors as well where you have very low foreign ownership of local assets so that outflow of capital will not be as strong as in previous times. Also, we are looking at a relatively high starting point for interest rates and cheap valuations. So that is supporting the case for emerging markets. So the high yields, um, faster growth prospects, and possibly China coming back in the picture to support the global economy are bright spots to look out for. 
From India, let's move Ryan to Hong Kong, where the Hang Seng Index is down more than 20% over the past year. A key index of China stocks listed in Hong Kong is down even more. The first half of 2022 has been a dismal time for the Hong Kong exchange. In terms of new listings, IPO proceeds in Hong Kong from January to June, lowest on record in some 13 years. But this does look set to change. So what's on deck in Hong Kong for the second half of the year, right? Yeah, I've got to paint a picture for that slump you kind of outlined. So if you look at what we had in the first half, $2.6 billion raised. That is a huge drop from last year by 92%. And it's also the lowest sum in nearly 13 years. And no surprises when you look at what's been happening in the past six months. You had so much uncertainty coming through from the Ukraine war, all the talk about recession, and many more things to get worried about, including supply chains, the uncertainty about the business outlook, and people just getting jittery about raising capital in markets. The risk appetite was just not there in the first half of this year. But that may be changing if you look at the pipeline. Things are starting to look up for Hong Kong. The likes of battery materials producer Tianzi Lithium has just opened up his books and could be the city's first billion-dollar deal this year. You've got also China Tourism Group Duty Free possibly relaunching his offering of around $2 billion. Also in the pipeline, snack maker Weilong Delicious Global Holdings, which will be looking at a pipeline or, or an offering of around $500 million. We also have Wego Blood Purification and also more technology companies in the pipeline to look out for. So it is looking like capital raising or at least uh, the pipeline is starting to look healthier than the first half. Does look like July is set to be the strongest month for new listings in Hong Kong this year. Now, this comes at a time when global markets are bearish, but interest in Chinese equities is rising again. That said, there are definitely still risks in the China market, risks that could spill over into global equities. Yesterday on the show, remember, we talked about the Ximao Group, the latest Chinese property developer that appears unable to make payments on its foreign debts. And today we have news of a new COVID-19 flare-up in China, this time in the Yangtze Delta. What's the latest there? Yeah, this is almost a sequel of what might happen again when we saw the lockdown spell in Shanghai. We've seen this scenario, COVID-19 cases taking up and then a lockdown. So this is just sending jitters of a repeat of what we saw in Beijing, in Shanghai, and it's now playing out in the eastern province of Anhui in C County. So cases there taking up, officials reporting 287 cases on Sunday, and that's nearly 1,000 since late last week. And the concern here is that it could spread to neighboring province Jiangsu, which is a huge hub for manufacturers, especially for solar panels. So that could have implications for that sector, plus other devices as well. We're talking about phones. So it's a huge factory hub. And if we see another lockdown, you can imagine what have implications um, and knock-on impacts it might have for the Chinese economy and other businesses globally. So that's closely watched. Um, and of course, uh, these two provinces are just right next to Shanghai. So it could also play out for Shanghai 
for round two. The Yangtze River Delta region accounts for about 25% of China's economy. So these fresh COVID outbreaks are definitely triggering concerns about lockdowns and supply chain ripples, as you outlined. Let's zoom out a bit further now. If you ask investors, what is your biggest worry today? What's the biggest overhang on markets? They're likely to reply with the R word, recession. Which global markets appear most likely at risk of contracting? Yeah, the R word keeps coming around and recession risks seems to be creeping up. Every day, we get new reports about how more brokerages, more businesses and more market watchers are getting more cautious about the outlook. And the latest comes through from Nomura, which is forecasting that the Eurozone, the UK, Japan, South Korea, Australia and Canada are among the candidates to fall into a recession along with the US. So we've got the prospects being outlined by Nomura that these central banks are likely to prioritize inflation to the point that they might be uh, inclined to raise rates excessively, maybe too much, just to tighten policy to control prices. And that could just trigger a hard landing. And this could then trigger a synchronized growth slowdown. So this is something they are projecting could happen. Uh, and of course, um, it is one of the many scenarios that could happen. So something to watch out for in the next 12 months. Nomura sees the U.S. and Eurozone economies contracting 1% next year. Just want to underline that. Mid-sized economies like Australia, Korea and Canada might shrink even more. So what about here in Singapore, you're thinking, right? What is the latest view on the likelihood of a recession here? That's been raised in the news, right, Ryan? Yeah, so in Parliament, uh, we've got Finance Minister Lawrence Wong responding to say that Singapore does not expect a recession or a stagflation scenario next year. So it's looking optimistic for now, but at the same time, there is a caveat. Things are quite unpredictable and volatile, as you would know. Things can change quite quickly, as we've seen with how the uh, Ukraine war just put a bit of a spanner into the global supply chain. So this is something to be monitored further and watched closely because all the implications of what other countries do with their central bank policies will also have knock-on impacts on Singapore. So if they have a slowdown, it's quite tough for any country, including Singapore, to not be affected. Um, But for now, the forecast is for growth in Singapore to be at 3.8% this year, according to a consensus forecast. That's pretty much in line with the official government forecast of between 3 to 5% this year. So Singapore seeking to beat risks. We have raised the levers when it comes to monetary policy. Have been worked three times, I believe, since October. Time now for corporate news and a game of up or down. Are you ready, Ryan? Let's go. Boeing. All right. Boeing is a story of how sometimes it's hard to take out politics from business. And this is a proxy fight between the US and China and Boeing of course a US company lost out in a huge deal for planes in China to Airbus worth at least 37 billion dollars that's almost 300 jets wow that's a down for Boeing in my book and up for its competitor though Airbus all right let's look at Kellogg Kellogg is a down for me. So it has lost a high court challenge against a against new UK rules limiting the prominence of sugary foods in English shops, which was meant to tackle child obesity. So mm. it can't prominently sell or market its products as before. 
Yeah, basically the UK is banning unhealthy food, sugary breakfast cereals from high-profile locations in supermarkets. You know, the checkouts, the shop entrances, the aisle ends. So this is potentially bad news and a down for Kellogg, which makes those Cocoa Pops and Frosted Flakes and Frosties. Definitely down in my book. Credit Suisse. All right, Credit Suisse also a down. So it's another hour with retrenchment. So more than two dozen frontline roles at investment bank in Asia mm. could be cut because of just a weakening outlook and crisis trying to grapple with losses. So it is also in the backdrop of what Crisis may be seen in terms of deal making falling off, trading just declining. So it doesn't need as many people as before. And the prospects of um, the economy is just not giving confidence to hold on to these people as well. So it's all part of a global effort to cut costs. Down in my books, Credit Suisse downsizing, cutting dozens of positions here in Asia. It's part of their overhaul. Oxley Holdings. Okay, I would go with up. And I am still trying to wrap my head about this, um, around this. Oxley Holdings is saying it's going to focus on developed countries that are more politically stable and transparent. And they have flagged the UK and Ireland as some of these countries. So it is looking at focusing. So I guess I would go with an up and looking at its um, portfolio right now, it has $305 million of unbuilt contract value in its overseas markets that it will be recognizing soon. It is a matter of perspective, isn't it? So Oxy Holdings saying it's going to focus on UK and Ireland going forward. Its unit price down about 26% over the past year. So perhaps this new focus will help it turn around. I'm going to give Oxley an up. Now, at the top of the show, I promised that our whirlwind tour this morning was going to take us even to outer space, and I don't want to disappoint. So let's head there now. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Ryan, but a NASA satellite the size of a microwave oven has broken free from Earth's orbit. It's now on its way to the moon. It's going to be a long journey, though. Four months to get there. So what do you make of this? It's called the Capstone Project. Yeah, I'm just catching up with the news. The Capstone satellite is all part of a wider plan to bring down the costs of space missions. So if it becomes successful, one day you and me could just go up to space, you know, I guess at a much more affordable price point. So if it does take off, um, we could be in for space tourism to become mainstream sooner rather than later. So right now we are uh, looking at the satellite making its way around the world and in another four months, the satellite is expected to reach the moon, taking or using minimal energy. Tiny amounts of fuel. It's just overshot the moon. It'll fall back into the new lunar orbit on the 13th day of November. Fascinating. NASA teamed up with two commercial companies for this really cool mission, California-based Rocket Lab and Colorado-based Advanced Space, which owns and operates the Capstone satellite. Let's turn to Singapore now. The Straits Times Index rallied yesterday, closing up 0.8% at 31.20. The trio of local banks led the blue chip index higher. How's the SDI trading this morning and are we seeing any momentum to add on to yesterday's gains? All right, so yesterday we snapped a three-day losing streak with that gain. So let's take a look at what we have this morning. We are extending those gains just slightly by 0.1%. And we've got the STI at 3,122. At the uh, bottom of the table, um, we've got the likes of Maple Tree Industrial Trust, Capital Land 
Integrated Commercial Trust down about 1%. At the top of the table, we've got the likes of Singtel up 1.2%, followed by Genting Singapore and Maple Tree Logistics Trust. So that's the picture we have right now in the opening minutes. All right. And so one final story for you before we wrap up the day, Ryan. I'm a huge fan of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Are you? Have you seen that? I haven't had a chance to catch it yet. It's really funny. You should catch it. So one of the characters is a matchmaker, and I've always thought that was an interesting uh, business and one that's been around for centuries. So people are apparently irritated with swiping left and right. They're just exhausted. And there is a new matchmaking app called Locks Club. It's got a subscription model. What do you make of this? And I know you're taken, but if you were not, would you consider using an app like this? I would keep all my options open if um, I still needed something like this, right? So it's a it's a back to I guess basics, almost um, something we've been using or been familiar with for quite a long time. Just having someone do the matchmaking for you, so no AI, but real intelligence. Um, so someone who might be able to give you feedback on how the date went and what you could have improved. Because I think right now, if you're just using Tinder, mm. it's a one-way traffic when it comes to data. You don't get any feedback on how the thing, uh, how the date went and how your meeting could have been improved. But if you have a matchmaker in the middle, it can be the middle person drawing comments or you know, complaints or any compliments to just pass on to the next person. So yeah. it is, I think a new way for people to start exploring again. Hey, at $96 for 12-month subscription, eminently affordable to give you access to a matchmaker. So there you have it. What's the app called again? Locks, I believe. Yes. Not available in Singapore yet, I believe. Oh, all right. So <laughs> for maybe overseas one day. listeners and our listeners listening in Japan who write to me, thank you very much. Keep that coming through, please. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you so much for joining us. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.